definitely human. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It is the spring of 1929, and at the furthest reaches of the world, five valiant travellers have come face to face with their nemesis for the last time. They have no choice but to defeat Angela Gresley and her ancient cult of evil, or else watch as the inhuman forces of the underworld rise up to wash over the earth. The fate of humanity lies in the hands of our four heroes, Dorothy, Cornelia, Joy, and Jean Salim. And so together, armed with the flickering light of hope and summoning all that is good within them, they must finally put an end to the infinite bad. The Doom of Antarctica, Part 9 Beneath the ice and rock of Antarctica, there is a vast, unfathomable chasm, a hollow in the heart of the Earth that festers with an intense and voracious evil. The mouth of the abyss is filled with millions of black monoliths that seem to squirm and writhe under the swarming mass of pale anthropoid creatures, the denizens of this foul, forgotten place. Above the void, there is a delicate platform, adorned with innumerable goblets and cups, and a thin, spindly bridge of stone that hangs like the thread of a spider's web against the backdrop of endless darkness. Upon the platform, there stands the willowy frame of Angela Gresley, her slender pistol still smoking as she grips it with both hands, digging her nails into her knuckles. Gone is the controlled, soothing softness of her demeanor. Now she is shaking, and her smoky eyes are wide and wild. Her gaze is met by joy, and for a moment, the two women stare at each other, as if tethered by some invisible but ferocious energy. 
Cornelia looks from one to the other with a sick feeling in the pit of her stomach. Her daughter Joy and her nemesis Angela both share the same fierce intensity and savagery and seem to be enthralled with one another as if transfixed by their own reflections. Joy takes a step toward Angela and Cornelia immediately grips her arm and fixes her with a powerful glare. She too would like nothing more than to bury that wretched witch here with her monsters, to punish her for her sins and exact vengeance for Sebastian, whose hulking body is lying face down at their feet. But there will be time for emotion later. Right now, they must focus on escape and ensure that their fallen friend is not left here in this godless underworld. We just grab, grab his, his body. Just grab his body. Yeah. Just go. Just go. Just grab his arms and start pulling him across the bridge. Uh, make strength checks, both of you. Five. Fifteen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Cornelia, uh, you are at his head, and Joy, you are at his feet. Yeah, I'm pulling him by the neck. Yeah, you're literally pulling him, <laughs> dragging him. Uh, yeah, Dorothy and Jean Salim, you have seen this whole scene unfold, and you've seen Sebastian just crumple under the force of Angela's bullet. Uh, and now you see Cornelia is struggling to pull Sebastian's huge bulk over the bridge and back across. Uh, what do you want to do? Um, I'm going to tell John Celine to light it if we don't make it, and then I'm going to go and try to help. Unless it looks like unless it looks like Cornelia has got it a hundred percent, but she's just she's just got upper body strength for days, and she's well, she's fine. making she's made her way about uh, half the way across the bridge, but uh, Angela is keeping on shooting. And this time, uh, Joy, you are at the feet of Sebastian. Were you not? Yes. You take five points of damage. Okay. As her bullet finds its mark in your lower back. What are you on? Three. How far is it until they're safe? Uh, it'll be another round. What's this creature doing? Uh, this creature seems to be l- very loudly and gutturally shouting something. And you can see this pulsing mass of, of white anthropoids at the bottom of this cavern has begun to rise up all the stalagmites. Can't we... Okay. Okay. No, we can't throw the dynamite because we can't... Okay, nope. we just got to carry on. Yeah, we just got to carry on. We just got to okay, d- yeah. drag Sebastian faster. Dorothy, Yeah. Uh, make a perception check. Four. Jean Salim uh, is, is better at spotting this than you, and he cries out... Uh, points down, and then he runs back up the tunnel. Uh, You follow to where he pointed, and you can see that not even 10 feet away from you, a swarming mass of these anthropoids is making its way towards the door to block you off. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. God. Light the dynamite. Okay. 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 Throw it at the creatures? Just just light the dynamite. Leave it on the bridge. Yeah. If we get through, we get through. If we don't, we don't. Okay. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Make sure it's already checked. Nine. Uh, you start fumbling with the dynamite. Uh, you you drop the lighter. It's just at your feet, though. It's not dropped at a cavern. But you're you're fumbling with it because, yeah, you can see that there's thousands of these anthropoids swarming up towards you. Angela seems to be running after you, Joy. Uh, do you want to keep trying to carry Sebastian? <sighs> Have I still got my knife or did you take it from me? I mean, she's got a pistol, I guess. So I guess I'd point my pistol back at her. Mm-hmm. Joy, you can't. <laughs> Angela, you leave us alone. Um, make a perception check, uh, Joy and Dorothy. Five. 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 Five.
not Cornelia, obviously not Sebastian. Three. Five. Okay. Uh, she stops and she she's also pointing her pistol at, back at you, Joy, with hands trembling. And now you can start to see she's she's looking at Cornelia, who's proceeding, just like huffing and puffing, dragging <laughs> Sebastian while you're just while you're holding uh, Angela back. But you can now see that the these anthropoid creatures have completely overtaken the platform with the altar on it, and they're right behind Angela now. And Angela hasn't noticed them at all. Yeah, let's continue going. You guys keep going. I'm going to distract Angela. Uh, Angela says, you ruined everything, you stupid child. She seems to not, seeing this the blood that's running down your lower back from her shot, something something seems to be stopping her from shooting again. And she can see that her hand is, is shaking violently. Um, Angela, I'm sorry um, that I upset you and ruined your plans. It wasn't mine. <laughs> Maybe there's time to change this. All right. What uh, can I do? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she'll buy it. <laughs> uh, make, make a persuasion check at disadvantage. Oh. A persuasion check at disadvantage. 12? Oh, wow. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, perhaps she mistakes your incredibly unbelievable tone to the fact that you've just been shot, Joy. Um, but she pauses and you can see that there's almost tears welling up in her eyes. And then you see this jerk from her lower midsection and you see something sprouting, this blossom of blood sprouting from her midsection. And then a trickle of blood comes from her mouth. And Angela steps towards you and her hands are outstretched almost plaintively. And as the blood continues to trickle down, she she stumbles where she is on the bridge, uh, on this narrow thread-like bridge, and then begins to lean Then a look of blind panic overtakes her as she looks down and sees the uncountable hordes of anthropoids far, far below. As she topples over the edge of the platform and falls, you're almost sure that she mouths something mutely to you that might have been a plea for mercy, but it is too late. You can see her falling far and then she is lost in this mass of teeming anthropoids that immediately swarm over her and you can't even see what happens to her body. Let's get out of here. Uh, Dorothy, you've picked up the lighter uh, and you can have another go at lighting the dynamite in the way How that you want to. How far are we? Because all of this is still yeah, a bit you're, dragging. You, you have reached where Dorothy is now. Okay, yeah. so what we're with almost, Sebastian. We're through the door? Yeah. You're at the door. I'm at the door. Whereas Joy is one, okay. one round behind you. I go you. through the door. Okay. Okay. Ten. Uh, okay. Joy, uh, you hear a sound ring out now. And it sounds like a guttural voice that seems to be saying, stop. The rest of you can't, and you don't hear any such words or anything like that. Where's it coming from? Behind me? Behind you, yeah. I turn around. It is the anthropoid who was conversing with Angela. And he seems to be standing in kind of a half slouch, whereas all the other anthropoids are skittering on all fours. But this one stands aloft where Angela was standing before she toppled down into the chasm and his fingertips are bloody with her blood. Uh, and he stands there and uh, he's he's clearly the one who spoke to you. Don't stop, Joy, don't stop. Keep running. He looks at you um, and make I'm a like, wide-eyed, just staring at him. 
too. Okay. Uh, you're transfixed by this the fact that, that this thing can speak in a language that you understand. The rest of you don't understand why she's stopping and staring at this at this anthropoid who seems to you like all the others. Um, Joy, it speaks to you again, and then it says, "Is it time?" Time for what? It doesn't. It doesn't seem to understand what you're saying. And then it repeats, "Is it time?" No, <laughs> it's not time. Okay, Dorothy, you have uh, you've lit the dynamite now. What do you want to do with it? Joy is still seemingly transfixed, and she's making now these strange guttural noises towards the anthropoid. Okay, so I still am trying to do the thing where I'm lighting everything for the door. Joy, we must leave. It's talking to me. It's asking, is it time? It's talking to me. It's saying, stop. We have to go now. I'm going to go grab her. Okay. Uh, Okay, so Cornelia, make a dexterity or a strength check. She's not moving. 17. Okay. (laughs) Cornelia, you grab Joy by the scruff of her neck. (laughs) Joy Dutton Cavendish stands on the spindly bridge that hangs over the abyss, staring in wonder at the pale beast, captivated by its deep black eyes, paralysed by its words. And then, suddenly, she is wrenched backwards, and the cavern recedes as a powerful force pulls her from the edge of beyond. But Joy doesn't see her mother, who is desperately dragging her toward the doorway, even as the anthropoids swarm up ahead of her, blocking her escape. Nor does she see Dorothy lighting the dynamite, or Jean Selim who, in a sudden blaze of instinctive bravery, has returned and is shooting at the creatures, trying to clear a path even as they surround him. Joy is mesmerised by the humanoid that still watches her from the end of the platform. For a moment, it seems to be considering her words, and then it speaks once more in a language that she alone can understand. Our hunger only grows deeper. And then a sound, like thunder, like an avalanche, and it's as if the hollow is being drained as the anthropoids retreat into every crevice and tunnel by the thousands. Joy is pulled through the doorway and up the passage as the dynamite explodes with an almighty crack, followed by a massive movement of ice and rock. She blinks, and looks around at the frozen ruin of Drakelow Hall, unsurprised to find it has once more been vacated of the living. Almost without conscious process, she drifts outside, where their team of dogs are waiting, placid and happily unaware of what transpired beneath them. She exhales, and the ghost of her breath hangs in the crisp Antarctic air. It is finished. Our heroes have methodically, if unwittingly, dismantled a world-spanning cult, a cult obsessed with a twisted understanding of the Christian trinity and determined to bring about their horrific vision of the world's rebirth. Lord Talbot in Egypt, Peter Fairbank in Hong Kong, Vinnie Carmichael in Chicago, and Angela Gresley, all were fiendish adversaries, tenaciously committed to bringing their plot to fruition, and now all are vanquished. Dorothy, Cornelia, Sebastian, and Joy have travelled to the very end of the world and played their part in a cycle that seems to have been going on for millennia, holding back a vast horde of pale beings that teem beneath our world. But the fight was not won without sacrifices. 
our heroes have suffered and will bear scars that will haunt them for a lifetime. Cornelia holds her daughter tightly in her arms and quietly promises that they will never again meddle in the occult. Jean Selim is weeping openly as he lays Sebastian down as gently as he can. Dorothy closes her eyes, compartmentalizing her dread before summoning what courage she has left to examine the bullet hole in Sebastian's chest. Okay, so you can tell that Sebastian is fading fast. He is just struggling to clutch to consciousness, but he's not long for this world. Sebastian, can you hear me? Yes, Dorothy. Um, I can tell by the expression on your face that I'm going to be all right. You're doing great. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling? Um, like I'm dying, Dorothy. It was a little joke there. I, I'm pretty sure I'm... Uh, this is, I think this is it for me, actually. But... <laughs> I'm crying already. <laughs> but we did what we set out to do, so I feel pretty good in a weird sort of way. I'm conflicted. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Actually, there was something I uh, would like to ask all of you, uh, and I hope you won't think less of me when I ask you this, but would you all perhaps hold my hand? Of course, of course Sebastian. Sebastian. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> the serene and peaceful beauty of the Antarctic desert is lost on our heroes as they kneel in the snow, heads bowed. But eventually, the bright, piercing light of dawn becomes impossible to ignore. And then, with their fingers and noses completely numb from the cold, they detect something else. A droning, a kind of churning, humming sound. Dorothy, Cornelia, Joy and Jean Selim look up and see the shape of an aeroplane. A Ford trimotor propeller plane, its silvery chassis glinting a beautiful pink in the rosy light of the rising sun. As it soars closer, they raise their hands in a weak and feeble call for its attention, and a small seed of relief buds inside them as they see it dip and wobble its wingtips in recognition. Then it turns and begins to fly away in the direction it came. Our heroes rationalize that the plane must be going back to base to fetch help, to mount a rescue. But as they crane their necks upwards and see the swift, even-keeled flight of the trimotor, they feel for a moment that perhaps it should leave them all behind, this clean and unblemished aircraft, an emissary of the future, of mankind's conquest of the margins of maps, of their willingness to strive ever upwards, held aloft by wit and nerve, with a precipitous drop beneath.
A motor car jerks and shudders in its transition from the smooth main roads to the winding lanes of rural Wiltshire. It is summer 1939, and Dr. Dorothy Taylor finds herself cramped in a moderately sized vehicle heading to the Cavendish home for orphaned children. This time, she is alone, although as she sees the gentle green flora of the British countryside brush past her car's windows, her thoughts drift back 20 years to when she was in a car much like this one, alongside three strangers, stuck in an uncomfortable silence, unaware of the adventures that would come to bind them together. The world is perched at the very edge of a precipice, more terrifying than anything that has come before it. Europe is divided on how to respond as the tumour of fascism metastasizes at its heart. Even as France and Britain recognise the brutal regime of Franco in Spain, they now prepare for war with Hitler's Germany. Mankind's darkest, most inhuman impulses, now empowered by the full arsenal of modern industrial efficiency, are about to reveal themselves in full force to the world. These thoughts trouble Dorothy, who has always kept her thumb on the pulse of the world's affairs, but her worries are temporarily dispelled by the sound of crunching gravel as her motor car turns into the narrow entrance road to the orphanage, picturesquely framed by black alder trees. After a few moments, the sight of a rather squat but stately country home breaks through the leaves, and Dorothy feels a strange pang in her gut, half anxiety and half elegiac. Standing ten feet in front of the door to the home are two women. One is stern and purse-lipped, her back straight as if in defiance of her evidently frail and aged body. The other is a healthy younger woman, with the clear eyes, scraped knuckles, and tanned cheeks that bespeak a life spent outdoors. Just a few wrinkles trouble the edges of her eyes, and they deepen as she smiles in recognition of Dorothy as she emerges from the motor car to greet them. Troy, Cornelia, Dorothy, it's oh, so good to oh. see you. You look so well. How are you? Dorothy. So good, thank you. How are you? How was your trip? I'm well, I'm well. And where are you, children? Come inside to meet them. Come um, inside. How old are they now? I'm 79. <laughs> <laughs> and not looking a what? day over... <laughs> and not looking a day over 60. Oh, yes. <laughs> I hold my ear trumpet up a little closer. <laughs> And Cornelia, you uh, you know that inside Odette, who is the woman who run well helps you run the orphanage, and she acts as a kind of governess for the six orphans who live here. Uh, she's had lunch ready for about ten minutes now, so you you've been standing outside waiting for Dorothy to arrive with uh, with a little bit of impatience. Well, let's eat. Absolutely, I'm famished. Oh, come in right away. Let me get your bags. Oh, thank you. So you enter the orphanage through its rather grand door, which is made of burnished oak and inlaid with another darker wood. Cornelia's country home has the bones of a grand and dignified home, but the trappings of childcare for six energetic children have left their mark, and the floors are strewn with wooden toys and have been wisely left uncarpeted. The smell of milk on the stove and diluted bleach is distinct as you pass from the entryway into the dining room on the far left. Of the entrance floor. The table here has been arrayed with an unadventurous but appealing selection of cheddar and brie, soda bread, heavy cream, and summer berries. A plate of cold-cut meat strewn with whole peppercorns sits on the corner of the table, as if recently and hastily placed there. So there are two other figures in this room as you enter. A middle-aged plump woman with a ruddy, lined face and a look of grim but benevolent exasperation. This is Odette and a nervous but strong-bodied young man with a fuzzy half-moustache, 
uh, Cornelia, this is Edward. Uh, he is a young man who helps you and Odette run the orphanage, and he mm. does the groundskeeping and any tasks which require physical labor. Uh, they stand as soon as the three of you enter, uh, and it looks like they've just been putting the finishing touches on the lunch, which Cornelia, you will have built up as quite a, an important meal uh, now that the group is reunited. Uh, Odette looks at you and says, Ah, yes, we are, we are ready for you to eat. Uh, please, we will excuse ourselves and... Uh, Joy, your husband, Marco, is he's here, he's with the children. The children, he'll come out uh, presently. But uh, please, the three of you, sit. sit. Are the you, children washed? Uh, yes, of course, of course. I, I will go and double-check yes. their little hands. Yes, wash them again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Marco comes in, Joy, and he looks benevolently at you, Joy, and Cornelia, but then with a, a wide smile, breaks across his face as he sees Dorothy uh, and he approaches you and scoops you into an embrace, Dorothy. <laughs> Marco, how lovely to see you again. Carissima Dorothy, how are you doing? <laughs> it has been so long. Oh, it, it really has, Marco. It's lovely to see you looking so well. Yes, yes, I, I've just been with the children, but please, now it is time for us to eat. Let's have lunch. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the four of you sit around uh, the table. Marco immediately grabs a slice of ham and is halfway bringing it to his mouth when Odette pops her head back into the room and says, uh, Please, Marco, uh, there's a problem with, uh, with Isabel. I'm not sure. Uh, please, if you could come in and, and settle her. Uh, we're, we're trying to, to get the meal started for the little one. So if you could just pop in, please. Uh, and Marco stands up impatiently uh, and brings the slice of ham with him into the other room, <laughs> leaving the three of you momentarily alone. You look so well. It's so good oh, to see you. It's so nice to be here. I've taken a little bit of a leave. As you know, I have the, the practice in Connecticut. Oh, um, yes. How is that going? It's going really well. It's nice to be a small town doctor. It really is. It feels... It's very peaceful. Oh, it's very peaceful. Amazing. My father passed away a few months ago. Oh, I'm so um, sorry. But he went. He went very gently. Um, yeah, okay. I, it's it's been a little hard, but um, but I take a lot of comfort in my work, and I'm just so happy to be here. I'm Bless so happy you. to be We're seeing so both of you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. At this point, uh, you hear from the other room where the children are with Odette, Edward, and your husband Marco a loud, powerful, triumphant cry coming from the children's dining room. It's a woman, so you assume it is Odette, and she's just screaming out, Ah! Uh, I want to go investigate. As you stand up, Cornelia, the rest of you hear all the children start screaming, and you hear the sound of table being overturned and chairs scraping everywhere. Oh my goodness. Oh my God. Okay, I think uh, I'll leap up too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You rush into the children's dining room, and you see Odette standing in the corner with a huge grin on her face. All the children are milling around and have formed a kind of semicircle trying to keep their distance from her. And as she turns to see all of you entering, she holds aloft a tiny, pathetic dead mouse. She's holding it by its tail uh, and kind of swinging it around. <laughs> oh, thank God. Oh, well done, Odette. Uh, she says, ah, but it is not I who have killed this mouse. No. And she throws it onto the floor and, and gestures with her hand and says, inspect it, if you please. Dorothy, uh, <laughs> would you like to make a medicine check? I would be delighted. 14. Just as you uh, kneel in front of this tiny, sad body of this grey-furred mouse, uh, you realise that it was not, in fact, Odette who killed it. 
it was killed by another animal. And as soon as you look up to tell the other people about this, uh, Odette is one step ahead of you and he says, You see, Dorothy, it was not I, it was the rat. Yes, that is consistent with my findings. But now we have it. Now we can track the rat and exterminate it from this home once and for all. Because once the rat has tasted the blood of the mouse, then what is next? Le squirrel? Le human being? We must find it immediately. Indeed, Odette. Okay, guys. Um, make an investigation check. Yes. <laughs> 11. 16. 14. Uh, Joy, your first instinct is to look around for Marco, uh, and you see that he is chasing after Isabel, who is run screaming from the room when uh, when Odette threw the mouse to the ground in the center <laughs> of the room. So he's, he's out of commission for now. But as you look around, uh, your practiced senses kick in and you immediately spot a trail of rat droppings that lead from the corner of the room where Odette found the mouse towards the staircase leading upstairs. I can see where the rat's gone. I can see the droppings leading up the stairs. Look over there. Yeah, where are they? Look over there, Cornelia. Like squid. Where are they? <laughs> I look closer. Uh, Dorothy, you can see them. Yep. Uh, and in fact, not only can you see a few rat droppings, you can see some flecks of mouse blood oh, uh, as well. Uh, Cornelia, you can't really see it, but... Um, it's okay. I can pretend that you I can. I can. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Dor- Dorothy and Joy seem to know where yes. they're going. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Let's go. So, making your way up the stairs to the second floor of Cornelia's home in the orphanage, as you reach the top of the landing, you hear another cry. And this time, Joy, you immediately recognise that it is Sebastian, your son, seven years old. And you hear his muffled voice, and he seems to be yelling something, shouting something, but you can't tell quite where from. Make a perception check. Sebastian, where are you? Six. Okay, you can't quite make it out. It's almost as if... He's in one of these rooms, but it's not a it's not a very large second floor. Can I use my ear trumpet? Yes, you can. To detect where it is. Yes, you can. <laughs> yes. A perception check with advantage. 15? 15, great. Okay, you actually hear that it seems to be coming from upstairs, but it, it's, it seems to be coming through the wall in quite a strange way. It's like it's resonating in the wall of what you thought was just a closet. I like to prod it with my cane where it seems to be coming from. It's hitting the walls. Where are you? You prod where it. Where are you? And a latch seems to turn and swings open a hidden door that even <gasps> you didn't know existed. Wow. Oh my In goodness. In my own home. In your own home. And as the door swings open, Sebastian's yelling becomes much more distinct and clearer. And you can see a ladder, a very tight, cramped ladder that seems to be leading up to the attic. You know that there's an attic in this home, Mm. but you didn't know that there was a secret way to access it. And you can see on the ladder that there's little handprints as if many of your children have been using this. Oh, my goodness. Joy, Dorothy, come with me. There's a ladder here of some description. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. It's yeah, it's really yeah, okay, right? yeah. Okay, uh, it's a little bit of a tricky ladder scramble. It's very tight. It's almost better for children than for adults. So make an athletics check, Joy. Eight. Okay, uh, so you make it halfway up, uh, and then you, your hips get stuck on a particularly narrow uh, portion of the passage upwards. And Dorothy, you're trying to go behind her, and Joy accidentally, her, her foot slips off one of the rungs of the ladder and hits you in the face. Oh, I'm so sorry, Dorothy. You take one point of damage, Dorothy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, Dorothy. That's, 
That's all right. Are you okay? <laughs> yes, I'm okay. Too much cake, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Joy, uh, you, you do make it to the top of the ladder without any further um, okay. embarrassment, though. <laughs> you find yourselves now, all three of you, in the attic. Uh, it's quite a low attic, very dusty. Uh, almost all of the furniture that is usually stored up here has been moved down into the ground floor now for use for the children. So it's mostly quite empty space. Uh, you can see, though, Cornelia, with some disapproval, that many of the children seem to have been using this as a secret play area. And there's some toys strewn around here, some evidence of chocolate. Uh, at which, <laughs> chocolate. Which, chocolate, even, which might have been what attracted the, the vermin. Uh, as you sweep the attic with your eyes, you can see on the far side your son, Joy, uh, Sebastian, seven years old, and he seems to have cornered a large hissing rat. He's shaking his fist at it. Okay, uh, Cornelia, make an occult check whilst looking at this rat. 20. 20, okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, uh, your, your beady eyes pierce this interloper in your home uh, and you can immediately tell that this rat is nothing more than a normal rat. It is aggressively mundane, almost obscenely ordinary. <laughs> yeah. It is, however, genuinely quite large and it seems to feel cornered. Uh, Sebastian continues loudly threatening it and he steps forward, shaking his fist, and he cries out, I'm going to kill it and study its ways, just like a real anthropologist, Ma. Sebastian, stay back. Uh, what do you want to do? Good for you, Sebastian. Punch it! <laughs> no, Cornelia. <laughs> is there anything that we could like put over it, like a wastebasket or something like that? Uh, there isn't. There's a large kind of cloth that would have been used mm. to cover pieces of furniture oh, yeah. that you can probably mm. throw over. Wrangle the yeah. rat into. Yeah, that's yeah. a good idea. Yeah. Do you want to go for that, Dorothy? Yeah, I'm going to try Make it. Make an attack roll. Okay. Such a good house guest. <laughs> 17. You grab this huge off-white uh, cloth that's very heavy and you throw it with some effort. Uh, the rat has just enough time to yelp in surprise as the cloth slams on top of it and you can see it kind of uh, flurrying underneath the cloth. Uh, very, very confused. It can't see anymore. So now it's, it's pretty much trapped. Uh, if you want to try to smack it and kill it. I would like to beat do. it with my cane. Okay, make an attack check. 16. Okay, roll for damage. How much? Uh, roll a 1d4. I pull Sebastian back as mm. Cornelia goes into the cane. Two. Two. Okay, it is enough to kill the rat. You step <laughs> forward uh, and, and <laughs> hoisting your cane aloft, uh, the rat makes one final squeak almost uh, as if in premonition of what's about to happen to it, and you <laughs> slam the cane down, and with a sharp crack, it lies still. Yes, we've seen worse than you. <laughs> the commotion is over. The rat lies vanquished. What would you like to do? Lunch, I think. Quite. Uh, you return downstairs, and you can see that Odette is standing on the second floor, uh, waiting anxiously. She also hadn't known about this secret passage, so you explain to her the situation, uh, and you all go back downstairs with Odette thanking you profusely for finding and, and destroying the rat. As you get back into the dining room, though, the children have all come out again, and Odette says, Perhaps it's not the best idea for the children to eat in the room where uh, the vermin was, so perhaps uh, we can all eat together. 
uh, here in the same home with the children. Mm. The children immediately begin begging for you to relent on this. They've never actually gotten to eat with the adults at the grown-ups yeah. table, so they're very pleased about this possibility. Uh, I'd like to look each of them squarely in the eyes and then acquiesce. So they know how close I came to saying no. Yes, today you may eat with us. The sunlight grows heavy and more rich as it begins its downward arc, and our three adventurers, veterans of struggles now forgotten to history, sit to eat with the children. They let their laughter banish the ghosts of their past suffering, which still linger in the corners of their minds, gnashing their tiny teeth as they drift to sleep each night. The world around them continues to rage, oblivious to the overwhelming evil four strangers, thrown together by chance and kept together by luck and loyalty, single-handedly stopped ten years ago. So it is to be a saviour to an unknowing and ungrateful world. More evils shake their manes and roar on the horizon, belching smoke and death. But these are struggles for other heroes, and for Joy, Dorothy and Cornelia at least, their battles are over. The late British summer casts its particular spell on this corner of the countryside, washing golden light on the craggy boughs of ancient trees, dense with leaves. A crisp zephyr occasionally frolics through the growth, sending it fluttering and swaying, revealing even now the brown tips of some of the leaves preparing to fall. But when it passes, and the forest is still once more, a rambler in these woods might imagine a sea of unblemished green, mottled with gentle sunlight, fading like a fast-approaching and well-earned slumber. You've been listening to The Doom of Antarctica, written by Giorgio Mariani and produced and edited by David Knight and Tom Darling, with music by Jonathan Day. Starring Eleanor Kohler as Dorothy Taylor, Maximilian John as Cornelia Cavendish, David Knight as Sebastian St. Battenberg, and Charlie May as Joy Dotton Cavendish. I am Giorgio Mariani, Game Master. You can follow us on Twitter at The Infinite Bad and support the production of the series on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash definitely human. This is the end of The Doom of Antarctica. If you enjoyed the adventure, please rate and review the show on iTunes. The Infinite Bad is a definitely human production. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.